Hello, Shirley fans, and welcome back to the Shirley You Can't Be Serious podcast. We are here today on our second installment of Alien versus Aliens, and normally we're ahead of the game. Normally we have several episodes in the queue that we have recorded, but we had summer vacation, and we are doing things fast and on the fly, and we made some mistakes in the last episode, and we forgot some things in the last episode. <laughs> uh, we forgot that it was the 35th anniversary of freaking oh, the release gosh. of Aliens that last week. The 35th anniversary? The 35th anniversary. How do I forget that? It's fantastic. So we're recording this July 21st. Yes. This was the number one movie in America in 1986 on this day, 35 years ago. Fantastic. I also forgot to mention when we were talking about Bill Paxton, Bill Paxton, number one, his great-great-grandfather, Elijah Franklin Paxton, was a general in the Confederate Army during the Civil War. Stop your grinning and drop your linen. (laughs) This is even better. Bill Paxton. Paxton was in the crowd when President John F. Kennedy came out of the Hotel Texas in Fort Worth on November 22nd, 1963, the day he was assassinated. There are photographs of an eight-year-old Bill Paxton being lifted above the crowd on display at the Sixth Floor Museum in Dallas. Wow, that's fantastic. I know. It's crazy, right? That is insane. Yes. So, one other mistake that I made was I said that the, I said that, what's his name? Yafit Koto. I said that Yafit Koto's real name was Parker. That was his character's name. His real name was Frederick. He took his dad's name. His mom, Comfred, I'm a Comfred. <laughs> <laughs> but what do we do? I mean, what do we do? How, what are we going to do with the last episode? It's already out there. I say we take off and we nuke the entire site from orbit. All right. We waste it. No offense. <laughs> no, none taken. <laughs> okay, fantastic. Right. Let's dive back in. Yeah, back in for production of both Alien and Aliens. Let's go back to Alien. All right, so Alien was filmed in London at Pinewood Studios, which is the same spot that Aliens is later filmed, uh, directed by Sir Ridley Scott. Yep, same place that they were shooting Superman 1 and 2. I think they shot Star Wars there, too, if I'm not mistaken. It was a popular place to be shooting some amazing movies back then. Big place. Hey, a couple of notes on some actors that I wanted to throw in here that I forgot real quick. Yeah. Helen Mirren auditioned for a role in Alien. Didn't get it. Wow. How about that? She's too hot back then. Gosh, she was major back then. She was really good looking back then. And apparently, we can thank Warren Beatty for Sigourney Weaver's discovery. Really? Yeah. He saw her on stage and recommended her to producer David Geiler. Wow. Probably saw her and thought, who's that? (laughs) Okay, let's talk special effects, okay? Okay, sounds good. Okay, so we've got two different groups of guys that did the special effects on these two movies. Okay. I think I mentioned last time that the guys responsible for kind of the design of the ship were Ron Cobb and Chris Foss. So Ron Cobb had been a Disney animator at like age 17. Uh, Ended up getting laid off on that. Got a job doing Dark Star, which is where he met Dan O'Bannon. He ended up working on Star Wars. He worked on Raiders. He worked on Conan, Back to the Future, The Abyss, Total Recall. I mean, he became a major hero in the special effects world. Yep. He had been an artist and a cartoonist, like I said, but like he was starving. He was a starving artist. He had even done the album cover for a Jefferson Airplane album, which is how he, yeah, that's how he got the job on Dark Star. 
Okay. Yeah. They called him up and they're like, okay, we kind of want, we need you to design a spaceship for us called the Dark Star. And he drew it on a napkin at the Pancake House. Well, sure. And so when O'Bannon goes over to do Dune with Portorowski, he brings over that guy. They hit it off. But as we know, Dune fails. But then he goes back. He designed, you know, in Star Wars, the hammerhead, the guy with like the kind of curly uh, yeah. face. He designed that. He's the guy that came up with that in the cantina scene. That's fantastic. And he helped Spielberg write Night Skies, Night Skies, which Turns. was supposed to be a Close Encounter sequel, but kind of got split into E.T. and Poltergeist. Okay, by Spielberg later on. Okay, fantastic. And and Back to the Future, he was listed as the DeLorean time travel consultant. I don't know what that means, but that's pretty <laughs> cool. Okay, and then the other guy that helped out was Chris Foss. He was the guy who did the original black and white illustrations for The Joy of Sex. The very hairy (laughs) black and white drawings for The Joy of Sex from 1972. Um, Flash forward to our Manscaped episode, wherever that appears. Yeah, we should do that now, right? If you look like the guy in The Joy (laughs) of Sex book from 1972 it is time to do some manscaping and have we got a product for you we got the lawnmower we got the weed whacker yes we've got the weed whacker for your nose we've got the lawnmower for your other areas 4.0 has just been released it's not the 70s anymore it is time to clean your stuff up man (laughs) smooth your package all right (laughs) d it is easier to see a giraffe on the prairie than it is to see a giraffe in the jungle exactly um so be sure and use the promo code fansighted20 to get 20% off of your order for Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com. Whack it. (laughs) Okay, so those two guys were the guys who made the spaceships, but they brought on Roger Christian, who was the guy from Star Wars, who was the genius who said, make it dirty, right? He's the guy who was responsible for the Millennium Falcon looking dirty. And he's the guy for making the guy who made the Nostromo look like a space truck. Right. The used universe philosophy. And it's that's one idea that Ridley Scott carried over to Blade Runner. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So Roger Christian was like the third guy hired to do Star Wars. He ended up doing second unit, directing second unit for Return of the Jedi. But he said it was a symbiosis for him and Dan and Ron all together. He said if it would have just been Dan, it would look like Dark Star. If it had just been Ron, it looked like Star Trek. But what he did was make you believe you were on a space truck that had been traveling for years and years in space. That's interesting. Side note, he directed The Cinder, which happens to be Quentin Tarantino's favorite horror movie. The Cinder. Yeah. Okay. So that covers the guys who did the special effects for Alien. One of the things I want to mention, not I don't know if we call this special effects or not, but there's actually a scene where Ash is doing an autopsy on the facehugger. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it looks incredibly real yes well that's because they were using real oysters and a sheep kidney oh yeah in, in this model yeah was it wasn't like inside uh one of those horseshoe crabs right didn't they take a horseshoe crab and put it inside i think there? they combined several different i know they used the sheep kidney and they used oysters yeah but because the lights were so strong uh-huh. they had to move quickly during filming yeah and that sucker started to stink oh gross oh nasty but he had his face right up in there too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so one of the things I want to talk about is the ship, the actual alien vessel 
Yeah. I don't think it has a name, just that horseshoe looking spacecraft. Yeah. The thing that was supposed to be a pyramid, but then they changed it up. Okay. So when they investigate, when John Hurt goes on board and they're looking around, they find what the fans call the space jockey. Oh, right. The old, yeah, the old carcass of the guy who had had his chest burst from long ago. Right. It's like, it's like this bigger bipedal humanoid looking thing. Yeah. And you actually get kind of the backstory on this. Have you ever seen Prometheus? I have not seen Prometheus. <laughs> Uh, but anyway after aliens four i was just like i'm just done with this franchise i'm sorry oh well you know so that ship the horseshoe ship james cameron wanted that again for aliens Uh and when he contacted the people said hey i need i need that ship can we can we use that ship you know that model we don't know where it is we can't find it and so so they start looking around for stuff from the movie alien Okay. Can't find the shuttle. Can't find, you know, these different models and nobody knows where it is. Well, somebody finally speaks up and they're like, well, I think it's over at, uh, in Jimmy's backyard, like by his driveway. <laughs> Jimmy. Well, just a guy. I mean, I, <laughs> one, of guys, one of the guys, one of the guys from the movie alien, Joe Dante put it in his. <laughs> with the- yeah. I mean, yeah, somebody had it and it was sitting back just kind of rusting in their driveway. Oh, wow. So the model makers from Aliens went over to his house, retrieved it. Now he can weed eat or whatever. (laughs) They took it back. They cleaned it up and they used the exact same one for Aliens. Oh, that's fantastic. I watched the special edition of Aliens, which Jim Cameron calls the definitive edition. Uh And I know we'll talk about the extra scenes here in a minute, but uh, I don't know. Do we get a good look at that ship in the... Okay. Not really. That's the special edition because you do see the ship. Yeah. And that's you actually see Newt's family discover that ship. Wow. You you don't know this? Yeah, no. So I watched the original version. I didn't watch the extended cut. So like that scene is not in the original cut. We will talk about the awesome, amazing additional scenes that were cut. Yeah. We'll talk about that here in a minute once we get through special effects. Okay. So talking about that gigantic ship, he wanted it to be as big as it could possibly be, and it wasn't big enough for him. So what he ended up doing was putting little kids inside the space suits. As a matter of fact, he put his own kids, like his yeah, two sons. Those Ridley the, Scott's boys, right? Yeah, Ridley Scott's sons are two of the astronauts and the cinematographer, his son is the other astronaut to make the space jockey look bigger and to make the big cavernous kind of, you know, biomechanical thing that they're inside look bigger. He had that he had little kids inside of the space. That's suits. fantastic. That's a yeah. good idea. And as they were lighting the place, you know, the you've got the set designer and he starts flipping on the lights and he only hits two and Ridley Scott goes, stop. We are not putting any more lights in this. He's like, Ridley, I've got, I've got like 13 more lights to light this place up. We need to see all. He's like, no, this needs to be dark. It needs to be mysterious. He goes, you're never going to see it. He goes, it will work. And it was the most effective use of mystery of you're just catching hints of what's going on. And he's letting your imagination do all of the rest. It's the Jaws theory, right? Right. We don't get a good look at the alien. We really don't get a great look at the shark in Jaws. Right. Which is interesting because Ridley Scott based Alien on a couple of movies, right? Uh-huh. So he wanted to feel like Jaws in space. Yeah. Which Jaws in 1975, film in 1979, you can clearly see. Right. The influence of Jaws. He wanted uh, it to kind of feel like Rosemary's Baby. Ooh, okay. And then he wanted the shock factor and the death feel to be like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. (laughs) How about that? Oh, yeah, that's great. That is great. So the other effective thing they did on the special effects was the use of the point of view cam and of the 
Oh, yeah. Like the TV screens, like as they're watching what's going on, because we can, as the audience can accept, hey, we've got this grainy image on the TV screen. So the special effects don't have to be perfect because it's on this grainy TV screen that we're watching it. And then we don't have to see a lot of action from the actors in these caverns because he gives us their point of view as they're going through. Intercuts it all perfectly. So beautifully filmed. Awesome job. Okay. We're bouncing around here, but I want to, I want to go on that thought as well. Yeah. So you mentioned the TV camera, the, the POV version. And I remember when I first saw aliens, each one of the Marines has a video camera on its shoulder. Yes. And Gorman, Burke, and Ripley are watching back in the APV. I remember watching this going, what is happening? I can't get a good look. And you see, you hear shotguns, you hear the aliens squealing, and Hudson's in the camera going, let's get the heck out of here. They got the Sarge, man. You know, it's switching PV, and it's so good. It is what these movies are all about. It is the mystery and terror of the unknown. Right. right. Like the alien is like the in literature, he is the other. He is that unknown. We're afraid of this thing. We don't know what it is. And it's that unknown that makes us scared. And by leaving things in the dark and leaving things where you're just hearing what's going on instead of being able to see them, he captures that moment of the unknown for the audience. Particularly in aliens, you get that one great shot where they're walking around the nest. Yeah. You as the audience member know they're walking. It's like a hive, right? Yeah, right. Uh-huh. You get that one great shot where the alien jumped on that one character's back. Yeah. Boom. And then it jumps to the TV and it's mass chaos. Yep. Super scary. Okay. So let's let's jump back to Alien, all right? So at the beginning of this movie, you have this very Kubrick 2001 Space Odyssey style of film with this vast openness of space, this giant space barge. And even once they they land, it's fantastical and huge on the outside. And then on the inside, they find these gigantic caverns and they have these ancient gigantic space astronauts that leave the skeleton behind. And it's all leading you up to the egg and that moment where Kane is struck. And from that point on, it moves from all these big giant caverns into these tight, almost claustrophobic, congested, crawl-through spaces, and you're fooled. Once Kane is freed and you think, oh, you know, we've we've gotten past the immediate danger, they have this very intimate dinner, it's all cozy, and then boom, chest-bursting scene, and we have claustrophobic, tight spaces throughout the rest of the movie. Yeah. It's fantastic. The chest bursting scene is so shocking to the characters, right? We talked about how Ridley Scott wanted it to be shocking to the actors. Yes. So he didn't tell them what was going to happen. That high pressured blood squirt. (laughs) You can tell Veronica Cartwright didn't sign up for that, right? (laughs) Right. She got squirted right in the face. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) That's a pretty good impression right there. (laughs) The first attempt on the chest burster didn't work, Uh, but it actually makes it to the screen. It's actually really cool. You see that jump in his shirt, but it doesn't tear through his shirt, but you have the blood that just starts pooling and then it rips through and everybody steps back. They're like, what? What what's going on here? It makes it even better. The and, fact that it doesn't get all the way out the first try. I know, and it's got to like pound its way up. It's a it's a it's a small shock that makes you go, oh, okay, that's all. Oh, big shock, right? And then they're too shocked to do anything, and that thing scurries off, and now you got a major problem to deal with. So the chest bursting scene is one of 
the most iconic moments in all of film history. I agree. It was that the, the chest burster, the small alien was not inspired by a Geiger painting. It was inspired by this artist named Francis Bacon. And he did this series of paintings called Three Studies at the Base of the Crucifixion. So if you want to go Google that, Three Studies okay. at the Base of Crucifixion, Francis Bacon, you go look at that. It is the baby alien face for sure. What? Yes. That doesn't seem like it goes together, but okay. Yeah, I mean it's it's okay. interesting that they that the grown-up alien and the baby alien came from different artists. That is very interesting. Yeah. You know, one of the things that makes the alien warrior scary, mm-hmm. you know, there's you have the the names for these things. You have the chest burster. Yes. You have the face hugger. Yeah. You have the warrior. Yeah. And you have the queen. Yeah. Okay. The warrior has no eyes. Okay. Which makes it even more scary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The exoskeleton like a bug, the very phallic head. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hey, you know, you get a good look at that alien skull in Predator Part 2. Oh, right. You remember that? Yes. So Danny Glover is chasing the Predator around futuristic Los Angeles. He manages to get on the ship mm-hmm. and the Predator has taken trophies. One of them is a human skull that you see. And okay. one of them is the alien skull. Oh, my God. Get a good look at how the actual biology of the alien. Works. Right. Well, you know, the Predator is a perfect survivor. Unclouded by conscience or remorse or <laughs> illusions of morality. Nice. <laughs> we need to talk about predators sometime. Yes, we do. Okay. <laughs> okay. I got something to talk about. Okay, go. I, I know we're, we're all over the place. Yeah, that's right. A couple of things. The xenomorph. All we know is that there's still no contact with the colony and that a xenomorph may be involved. Excuse me, a what? A xenomorph. Yeah. The alien warrior yep. from Alien. Only is on screen four minutes in the entire movie. I believe that. Four minutes. Yeah. It goes back to that idea of what you can't see is scarier. Right. Okay. The slime used when every time the alien like opens his mouth and jets out all this disgusting saliva slime. Yeah. That's KY jelly. Okay. A little more on that whole rape thing. <laughs> exactly. But here's the thing I found interesting. So when Dan O'Bannon was writing the screenplay for the original Alien, he came and sort of had a block. He's like, well, what is a reason why these guys don't just get a gun and shoot this thing? Right? No guns. Well, but why don't they just go kill it? Right? Right. So that's where the acid blood comes into play. Right. It's fantastic. Even if they had had guns, it would have been potentially more damaging as we find out when we get to aliens, then it would be helpful. And so what they resort to are these primitive, like, I mean, it's a cattle prod, but it looks like a spear, right? Right. And then you've got fire, like the first weapon, Prometheus bringing it down. Yeah. That's the way that they have to fight it in the original alien because there are no guns. When they make that first incision on the face hugger and it bleeds, it's going to go through the hole. They have to go and and stop it from burning through the ship right okay so unlike most horror movies the characters and the actors in this are all old i mean you think about your standard horror movie it's typically teenage romping in the you know you get busy and then you get killed right that's what happens with most horror movies (laughs) (laughs) you get busy then you get killed Right. right but sigourney weaver was the youngest actor among these guys and she was 29 at the time and so i think that is a part of why this movie was successful beyond just its 
appeal as an entertaining movie is that the audience could identify with these working Joe older folks. Yeah. So here's another little tidbit. The actors nearly passed out from the spacesuits that they had to wear. Yes. When you talk about the hot spacesuits, yeah. like Tom Skerritt, Veronica Cartwright, they were like, they kept passing out because it was so hot. Yeah. And they're like, ah, you guys will be fine. It's no problem. Well, Ridley Scott put his kids in there. And when his kids passed out, then they're like, okay, we need to fix the spacesuits. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> All right. So let's just run through the plot of both of these movies because they're so, so different, but so the same as well. All right. So in both movies, you start off with someone awakening to what appears to be a peaceful situation, right? They've come out of hypersleep in Alien. It was all of the crew members. You got a page blowing. I don't know why there's wind on right. a spacecraft, but you got the pages blowing, but everything is quiet and serene. I was just going to say the there's wind on a spacecraft, the same reason why there's like a waterfall on the spacecraft. <laughs> right. Who knows? It looks good on screen. Right. And then you've got Ripley and aliens being awoken from her world. Then bad news. We're not at earth in alien. Mother has woken us up because there's a distress signal coming, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And bad news on aliens. You've been asleep for 57 years. You're having these horrible dreams because you've destroyed this giant cargo ship. You're now demoted. And then, uh-oh, turns out we've lost communication with LV-426. Then in both scenarios, you've got different characters in each of them going, no, this is a bad idea. We should not do that. In Alien, it was Lambert who was like, Maybe we should just go home. Maybe we should just forget about this, fix the ship, go back and say we didn't find anything, right? <laughs> right. And she was right, right? She was right. That was the thing. I mean, it was it was this great, much deeper message going on. The low-class workers, like the guys who were the grunts, who were only getting a half share, they're the ones with the right idea. Why don't we freeze Kane? Just freeze him now and then take him back. And then we can fix the problem when we get someplace. We're other not, than here. we're just truckers. Right. We're not doctors. Right. Right. Hey, even before that. Yes. When Kane gets the thing attached to his face, yeah. they come back to the ship. Yep. They're like, Ripley let us in. Ripley's like, what's going on? He's got a thing on his face. I need to know what's happening. And Dallas is like, Open the door, Ripley. Just open the frigging door. We need to get him in here and get him treated. She's like, no, the answer is no. You know the quarantine rules. If Ripley would have been able to do her job, the ship would have been safe and people would have, would have saved lives. And Ash is the one, if you'll remember, yes. who pushes the button and lets him in. Yep. Because he knows what's happening and he's working against everybody the whole time. Right. And then, of course, in Aliens, when they say, Ripley, we need you to go along as a consultant, she very wisely says, screw you. I'm not going to do that. Right. I'm not going to do it. And it's only upon the promise that you're going there to kill it, right? Not to study it, not to bring it back, but to kill it. That and the idea that there's families involved and that concerns her because- Ripley just lost her daughter. Right. Which is another incredible scene in the special edition. Okay, let's talk about it. Let's talk about the scenes that are not in it. Go. Okay, so there's four important scenes that are cut from the director's cut of Aliens. Okay. Okay. If you get the DVD, James Cameron has said, this is the best cut of Aliens. Okay. okay. Yeah. So you have some really cool stuff. You see LV-426 uh-huh. like a work day. Okay. There's like guys working. There's a guy in charge. And there's even kids like riding bicycles down the hallway. You see families doing stuff. At LV-426. That makes it a little more meaningful. Yeah. Which the name of their town, I don't know if you know this. You know no. It's called Hadley's Hope. Oh, I did. I did know. Yeah. That. Okay. 
So you see them and they're talking and like one guy's talking to the boss. He's like, Hey boss, there's this guy and he's found this object and he wants to know if you'll get credit for this. If you get credit, the guy's like, well, okay, just tell him it's fine. Just go check it out. Take a look at it. Well, that's Newt's family. Oh. Newt's mom, dad, brother. And of course, Newt are on board. They're scavenging. They're running around. They're doing whatever. They come across the big horseshoe ship. Wow. Okay. So they're like, sweet. We, whatever we find is ours. We're going to go in and check it out. Right. Newt's dad He's the one who comes out. He's got the face hugger on his face. This is interesting. The way that they have it in the original cut is a very, it's weird because here we've got, again, let's compare. You've got two surprise enemies, right? In Alien, surprise, Ash, the lowly grunt scientific officer, right. turns out he's the one that's got the secret info from Mother, the ship, right? from the company, whatever that is. They just call it the company. Wayland yutani Yeah. Yeah. And so he's the one that is the surprise enemy, right? He's the one that ends up trying to sabotage the rest of the crew because the most important thing is bring the alien back. And then again, an aliens, another surprise enemy, the guy that you think you can trust, the guy with that sweet face. No, it turns out not only is he trying to bring the aliens back, but he's the guy who sent Newt's family to go That's investigate. Right. Right. She's Ripley's confronting him and she's like, I read the report. It says Burke, Carter, J need to go investigate. Right. And yeah. so he's the one that not only is trying to sabotage the mission, but he's the one that sent those people to die in the first place and seems to have no remorse. What is a mistake? It was a mistake. It's a bad call. It was a bad call. <sighs> I'm going to nail you to the wall, Burke. And so it's, I can't believe that she doesn't out Burke instantaneously. Like, how did she not already? She defend, I still don't understand that scene. <sighs> They're like, I say we waste him. Yeah. And Ripley's like, no, we can't waste him. Why not? Who cares? Right. Waste him. But two other scenes from director's cut. Burke is visiting Ripley. She's dealing with her PTSD. Okay. Right. And Ripley says to Burke, where's my daughter? Okay. He's like, well, we looked her up. Here she is. And he gives her a picture. Uh-huh. She died. Right. And it's a picture. He hands her a picture. She looks at it. She starts crying. She's like, I was supposed to be home for her 10th birthday, whatever. That's a picture of Sigourney Weaver's mother. Right. Which is pretty cool. Yes. And then there's a fantastic scene where the Marines set up and they're like at this, they're, they're honed in, they're bunkered down and they're ready for the aliens to start to come. But they've set up these sentry guns. Uh-huh. All they do is just fire, 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 fire. Uh-huh. And it is the coolest scene. I can't believe they cut it. It's unbelievably tense because they're coming like hordes of aliens are coming. And these guns are set up to shoot like motion detecting. Nice. Right. And I had a friend, Chris Alexander, who is one of our Patreons. Thank you, Chris and Jeannie. Yes. He told us about this when it was shown on like ABC or something. He's like, they have these sentry guns and they're firing. And it was the coolest thing. We were like, I don't think you saw the same movie. He's like, no, it was, I'm telling you. So no, sorry. The, the the ice police come and arrest Zod. <laughs> <laughs> he swore up and down about these sentry guns. And when I finally saw it, of course, Chris, sorry. <laughs> okay, so then we've got facing off with the alien. 
right? Yes. And facing off with the aliens. Yes. So facing off with the alien, interestingly, we have Ripley doing it all by herself by the end, right? Everybody's down, 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 down. And it's really with, it's in aliens that she learns to work with a team, right? Okay. And this goes back to, on the first one, she is learning to be a leader, right? She's been kind of overridden and ignored. Even the space truckers down in the motor room are kind of laughing at her and dismissing her, right? Sure. And so it's through all of this that she becomes a leader, but it's in aliens that she learns to trust others to help her out. And she learns to care for little Newt and to trust of all of them, Bishop. Yeah, it's a great scene where she meets Bishop for the first time, <laughs> right? The knife scenes. Stay away from me, Bishop. Yeah, the synthetic. I prefer the term artificial person myself. Okay, so then in both movies, we have the surprise stowaway, right? This is the fourth scene. Like we had act one, act two, act three. This is act four where in Alien, she is, she's done, right? She's in the getaway craft. She's just her and Jonesy in the craft. She's taken off her clothes. She's done her closing log. It's just, we're done. And then there's the surprise stowaway. And how do we find out about it? This slow moving hand comes out from the pipes and the mechanics inside the ship. And it's this very subtle, like <gasps> gasp, right? Yeah, yeah. On the other hand, with aliens, our surprise stowaway does the complete opposite. <laughs> and you think you're like, everything's okay. Oh, Bishop is chest bursting. How can this happen? How can Bishop be chest bursting? He's not, he's not real. And you're like, oh, it's the tail. And then he's torn in half and his two halves of his body are cast in different directions. I mean, you couldn't get less subtle than the stowaway in Aliens. I, when I, the first time I saw Alien, I was like, okay, that thing is not gone. We're not done with the story. In Aliens, I was like, they took off. They barely made it. She rescued Newt. They're done. And then that stinger thing comes through his chest. And I was like, oh, what is going on here? <laughs> okay. So with the original Alien, the movie was supposed to end with the destruction of the Nostromo, right? Okay, right. Quick side note, Nostromo. You know this? <sighs> Joseph Conrad. Joseph Conrad, who wrote Heart of Darkness, also wrote Nostromo. Do you know what the name of the town that Nostromo was from? No. Sulaco. <laughs> Sulaco is the name of the ship in Aliens. Right. So James Cameron, I love it. He sees that Dan O'Bannon or whoever it is that has named the ship has done this Joseph Conrad reference. And so he goes to the reference and finds another ship name. I, th I thought it was brilliant. By the way, at the same time, this is interesting. At the same time that Ridley Scott is filming this, Francis Ford Coppola is filming Apocalypse Now, which is just Heart of Darkness, which is also by Joseph Conrad. He must have been he must have been a guy on the scene at that point. Joseph Conrad. Oh, the man, stuff. yeah, it's been big in the late 70s. So, anyway, the movie Alien was supposed to end with the destruction of the Nostromo, but Ridley said we need a fourth act, and he convinced Fox to finance, let him go back and film more stuff. And what he wanted to happen was the alien to win. It was supposed to end with the alien biting off Ripley's head, but the studio said, No freaking way. What? Yes, that is true. That's interesting. Yeah. I was thinking to myself how much alien, mm -hmm. if you kind of reversed who the protagonists and the antagonists are, yeah. it's kind of like Die Hard, right? 
There's like one man or alien running <laughs> through the hallways, trying to survive people trying to kill him. Yeah. And, whoa, I took out this guy. I'm still alive. Whoa, I took out this guy. I'm still alive. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Okay. That's good. I hadn't really thought of that. That's <laughs> that may be the first connection I've heard. Like, okay. And speaking of connections that I believe exist, that I have not been able to verify anywhere on Google. Okay. Okay. Captain Marvel. Yes. You have a cat. Yes. And the cat's name is Goose. Nice throwback to Top Gun. Yes. Right? But the aliens are frightened of this cat because it's not really a cat. It's a flurkin. Yes. Right. I think I mentioned last time that my dad was sure that Jonesy, the cat in Alien, who is also in Aliens, and that scene where things start to go bad, the cat is going crazy. And you're like, oh, is the cat going to have a chestburster? Right. So he was convinced that the alien had implanted inside the cat. I'm putting forth this theory now. The cat from Captain Marvel is the same cat from Alien and Aliens, and it was never a cat. It was always a flurkin. That is why <laughs> the alien was not able to implant it at the time that Ripley was running away in Alien. Okay. Yeah. Prove me wrong, internet. Prove me wrong. Okay. <laughs> okay. Also, when you say to yourself, hey, I think those actors have been in the same movies together and stuff. Yep. So listen to this. Bill Paxton and Michael Bean and Rick Rossovich from Terminator uh-huh. were all in Lords of Discipline. So in Lethal Weapon 2... Jeanette Goldstein and Mark Rolston, who plays Drake in Aliens, right? They both get killed in like the first twenty minutes of oh, Lethal yeah, Weapon Two, right? Yeah, along and, with Agent Johnson, right? You know, from, the other one, yes, yes. right from Die Hard. <laughs> and then, of course, Sigourney Weaver and James Cameron get together again in Avatar. Mm-hmm. The bad guy in Avatar is played by Stephen Lang. They originally wanted Michael Bean, but James Cameron's like, I don't want this to be an Aliens reunion. So it was, but it was still a bad guy from Tombstone because he was curly. Bill in Tombstone. He was Curly Bill in Tombstone. Way to go. Nice. Okay. Last thought. They both go out of the airlock, right? Both movies end with this alien getting shot out of the airlock. The first one, just like the movie, more thoughtful. She's moving slow. She's slowly getting into the spacesuit. She's singing herself a little song about the starlight and star bright. I don't know what she's singing, but it's very slow and methodical and thoughtful. And the last one, just like the movie in Aliens, is more intense. I mean, she's about to go out the airlock with the alien, holding on by the crook of her elbow as it's getting sucked out. Yeah. I mean, the end of the alien defines the difference in these two movies, thoughtful versus intense. Okay. Love it. Thanks. Okay. We ready to talk soundtrack. Okay. Let's talk about aliens for a moment. Okay. Okay. So during filming, they're over in Pinewood. James Cameron is an American director taking over a project that British people revere and they revere Ridley Scott. Yep. And James Cameron's not famous, right? He's done Terminator, but they're not familiar with it. Right. So his British crew is openly uncooperative and difficult, right? Perspective, right? From their perspective, he's demanding and he's a bloody American over here trying to make all movies. <laughs> right. Apologies to all of our British <laughs> listeners. <laughs> We're not making fun of that. I know. I'm just, that was just my imitation. <laughs> but he did. He disregarded the importance of tea time. James Cameron is like, what the F is tea time? We don't stop making our movie at four o'clock for everybody to have tea. Yeah. 
But there's a great story about how the tea lady, this wonderful little lady who's pushing her trolley around. Hello, chaps, would you like some tea? And he exploded <laughs> at her, right? It's almost as good as Dick Van Dyke and Mary <laughs> Almost. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like my production. <laughs> but anyway, the tea lady came around at the wrong time. Yeah. For an American director who is not used to this and under pressure, trying to get everything. And of course, these guys are happy to take tea time. And she got both barrels from James Cameron. Just a couple of other additional things I want to throw in on the filming process. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, most movies are filmed kind of out of sequence, but Aliens was intentionally filmed with this particular scene shot last where we meet the Marines. That was one of the last shots filmed for the movie because they wanted that camaraderie of the actors who had been around each other for all this time. So brilliant. They have that and they have that camaraderie. It's just like the space truck in Alien. You don't doubt for a second that those guys have been working together and hunting bugs or doing whatever for years. Yes. Yes. Hey, you mentioned that one of the model makers made this great little painting on the side of the ship and it's called Bug Stompers. Oh, yeah. And it's kind of like a World War II thing where they would paint their the outside of their ship. Yep. And he and he spent all this time. He's real proud of it. Bug stompers. It says we endanger species. Nice. And he was real proud of it. And he's like, you can't see it. Yeah. You know, you spend all this time and effort. It's not on, on the screen. And we we failed to talk about the special effects guys from Aliens. I talked about them from Alien, but we didn't talk about the special effects guys from Aliens. You've got Mr. Stan Winston. Stan freaking Winston. Holy smokes. So Stan Winston was in charge of all of the creature stuff, right? And so he's the guy who gives us the chest burster that can move around and wiggle and has hands and arms. Like they looked at the original chest burster and it had like little nubs where the arms would be and like, we're going to go ahead and make those arms for our guy. Mm -hmm. And they gave him vertebrae where he could like move like a snake. Oh, it was so good. So they did some amazing special effects and I'm just going to touch on some of them here, but they had a running face hugger. How did they do that? Right. That's amazing. So the first shot, like this is the scene where Burke has trapped Newt and Ripley inside of the place where the facehuggers were being studied and has let the facehuggers loose. Right. They wake up and the, the facehuggers trying to get them from beside the bed. Right. And then you see them run around. They do this beautiful thing where she she sets off the fire alarm. So you get this intense, scary scene with flashing red lights. Brilliant. Number one. But then they've got this face hugger who's running. There's no CGI at this point, right? CGI non-existent in this movie. So what they do, they've got this face hugger that runs along, appears to jump onto a chair and then jump at your face as the audience member is their point of view that's jumping. At you. So how do they do that? How do they make it run and jump? So the first shot they shoot with animatronic moving legs and it gets to a spot. Then they put a little eyelet in that spot. They tie a little string to it and then they put the face hugger on the chair. Yeah. And then they shoot a reverse shot and they take a string and they yank the face hugger backwards to the eyelet. And then they put the face hugger back on the chair. They put the string from the camera's perspective, pull it toward the camera, and then run those three shots sequentially. So you have it animatronics running, reverse shot of it being pulled backwards. So it looks like it's jumping forwards. And then the point of view shot where it appears to jump at your face. And it's fantastic. It's incredible. You know, we haven't talked about the queen. 
First of all, is a new creation for aliens. Yeah, it's all James Cameron. It's all James Cameron. H.R. Geiger was not involved in the second Aliens movies. Nope. These are Cameron's drawings. And it's a full model. Like you said, there's no CGI. There's puppeteers. We're talking like, I think it's six guys who took to operate this. Yep. When I'm watching this, I'm like, wow, this is like Big Bird on steroids, right? So this, <laughs> this, it's truly amazing how they made that work. The Another reverse shot that they did was the shot where Hicks sticks his shotgun in the mouth. He, Eat had, this. he had tried over and over to shove it and it kept missing them. And James Cameron's like, We'll just do it in reverse. Put it in there. I'll have you pull it out, and then I'll run it backwards. Brilliant. Genius. Love it. One of the guys who was a special effects guy in the movie was Steve Norrington. He would go on to direct The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which wasn't that good, but he also directed Marvel's first movie, Blade. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. So Hadley's Hope, the power plant where they're running around, if that looks familiar... That turned out to be excess chemicals in the Batman movie. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, they used that scene to do to do Batman. I forgot about that. Okay, so that scene where Bishop gets impaled by the Queen's tail. Yes. And he spurts all of the same, you know, milky stuff that we saw Ash spew out. Yes. In Alien. Yes. That was yogurt mixed with milk. Uh-huh. The problem was they left it sitting unrefrigerated <laughs> all day long out of frame. And he actually got sick. Yeah, like he got food poisoning from it, was up all night, sick to his stomach and had to come in the next day and continue <laughs> throwing that stuff in his mouth. He's like, hey, hey, guys, can we put it in the refrigerator this time? <laughs> I know I'm supposed to bomb it, but can I like pretend this time? One of the things we haven't really talked about is when Sigourney Weaver gets in the power loader and she squares off against the queen. It's the most fantastic scene in the movie. Galen Hurd says that as a producer, that's her single best moment of her career. Yeah. When she watched this in the theater and Sigourney Weaver comes out in the power loader and says, get away from her, you bitch. Right. So awesome. And it's that you got two different special effects guys on that one. The mechanical effects were handled by John Richardson and the creature effects were handled by Stan Winston. And so you get this awesome end where they put their two special effects into battle, the power loader and the alien, two different effects crews develop each of them. And and that power loader, they actually had a guy behind Sigourney Weaver who was really controlling the power loader. Right. Right. But basically she's like, he's spooning her the whole time. (laughs) And so the guys thought it would be hysterical if they put a little balloon <laughs> in his crotch area. <laughs> and so as they're filming, as they're filming the scene, all of a sudden they start pumping this balloon. And Sigourney Weaver was like, um, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, excuse me. Uh, hello. Uh, what are you doing, sir? John, John, what's going on? <laughs> that is hilarious. I'm giving it up to those guys. That is funny. You know, there were companies that contacted the movie studio because they wanted to buy these power loaders. Yeah, it's the special effects, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk score and reception. Okay. In Alien, Ridley Scott had wanted to use this guy named Iseo Tomatia, uh, who was did like a bunch of, he's from Japan, did a bunch of synthesizer kind of music, would have sounded much more like a video game, more like Space Invaders. He wanted Space Invaders music. Done, 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 done. Yeah. Alan Ladd Jr. said, why don't we go with Jerry Goldsmith? 
because he's an icon and he's ridiculously talented and this has got enough space stuff in it we don't need video game sound effects right jerry goldsmith did the gremlins soundtrack among many other things Mm, yes many other things and so goldsmith had this original main title that was supposed to be beautiful and kind of almost romantic because he wanted to capture you know the beauty of space on that opening scene and really scott was like i don't like this can we do something else and so Jerry Goldsmith said, so I rewrote it to be weird and strange <laughs> and everybody loved it. <laughs> That's great. So. Okay. Now for aliens, we have our friend, Mr. James Horner, who we've spoken about before. We talked about him in our Braveheart episode, detail on his history. If you want to go check out our Braveheart versus Gladiator episode, interesting and ironic that really Scott did Gladiator, of course. Now, James Cameron is going to go use James Horner for Aliens. Yeah, he uses James Horner. Right. And James Horner, I mean, Titanic, best-selling score in history. Right. Right. And they bring him in. He's got six weeks to write the score, which he says, piece of cake, no problem. Got it. Except for three weeks, they don't have a movie to give him. They're still editing. And he's like, I felt bad for the editor, too, because they keep filming and they keep bringing him new stuff. And he cuts it all. And then they come back in with new stuff. And they're like, OK, we got to put all this in. And this isn't iMovie, guys. This is like right. tape and razor cutting film. This is hard stuff. So the editor is struggling to get it done. And until he's done with his part, James Horner can't do anything because there are literally thousands of music cues that he's got to write. Oh, yeah. And so he ends up with just a couple of weeks to write it he puts all of this music together based on the way that it's edited and then james cameron and gail hurd go in and re-edit everything and so they come back and he's like done his best to put it together and they're like wait a minute i thought that this piece of music went with this scene and i thought that this piece of music went with this cue and he's like it did but you went and changed everything so i and they're like well then just you know redo it he goes guys I have an orchestra. I have to write music for them. Right. He goes, if you want to give me four days, I can do it. I can get this done perfectly in four days. And Gail Hurd's like, we don't have that time. He goes, then I can't get it done. She goes, well, I guess we'll just have to find someone who can. And he said, please do. (laughs) Go for it. Please go do that. Because if you can find somebody who can re-edit, rewrite, do everything that you're asking in the time that you're asking, I've got something to learn from. Yep. And she said, yeah, we'll go ahead and use it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I was just bluffing. (laughs) But as bad as that went, obviously James Cameron and James Horner got back together. Okay. So I saw an interview with James Horner. He said basically that that situation went so bad, he did not think he would ever work with James Cameron again. Okay. Off the rails, super frustrating. Everybody was mad at each other. They left. Good luck. That's close enough. That's the best I can do. Sorry, guys. Good luck. And when James Cameron saw Braveheart, uh-huh. he's like, man, that score is so great. I'm calling Jamie again for my next project, Titanic. And I guess enough time had passed that Jamie was like, yeah, okay, let's do this. Yeah. Or enough money. Right. Right. That's fantastic. I think I think James Cameron had a little bit bigger budget for Titanic. Yes. Okay. Uh, we ready to talk reception of these two movies? Yeah, let's go for it. Reception and final judgment. Okay. So on Alien. Okay. Somebody came out the door and went, hated it. 
No, nobody no. hated it. People were blown away. Of course they were. Right? People fainted during the chestburster scene. <laughs> right? Yeah. In fact, there was a, a Texas movie theater owner who got sick of people fainting and vomiting in his theater that he cut the chestburster scene. So when people what? would watch the movie, if you watch Alien and there's no chestburster, uh-uh. it doesn't make any sense, but no. there's no drama. What? Yeah. No. So people were like, what, what the heck, what, what is going on here? It's like the Titanic, but the boat doesn't sink. It's like watching Galaxy <laughs> of Terror, right? <laughs> <laughs> the scene where Ash is decapitated. Yeah. This is not even the chest pressure scene. Right. He gets hit in the head with a fire extinguisher so hard they take his head off. I love that scene. It's a great scene. Yeah. An usher in London in a movie theater just did a total <laughs> face plant, hit the deck. Oh, what? You know, just head off. <laughs> Crikey. Crikey. He knocked his head oh off. Oh, my gosh. Here we go. <laughs> okay. So reception for aliens. Like I said, Gail Ann Hurd said the single greatest moment in her career is attending the theater in Hollywood. And when Ripley comes out in the power loader and says, get away from her, you bitch. And the whole theater erupts. She's like, this is the greatest moment of my life. Okay. <laughs> Individually, when the actors saw the movie for the first time. Okay. So Michael Bean and Bill Paxton saw this movie together. They watched it from the projection room. They thought they had a hit, but they hadn't seen it yet. So Michael Bean said that that when they're watching this, that Bill Paxton, who originally went by Wild Bill Paxton, right. was going crazy. Uh-huh. He's like, God. This is an MF and roller coaster. And he couldn't contain himself, just going crazy about this. So, and Lance Hendrickson watched it with James Cameron. They watched it together. When they walked out, Lance Hendrickson was so stunned by what he had seen. Mm -hmm. He said, Jim, I don't even know what to say to you. I can't even put into words. So I'm going to write you a letter. Yeah. And he said, James Cameron's like, okay. And of course the critics praised it. So Lance Hendrickson's like, well, I guess everybody's kind of said what they said. So he like six months later, he hadn't turned in the letter. <laughs> right. So for six months, James Cameron thought that Lance Hendrickson hated the movie. Oh no. And Lance Hendrickson's like, no, that is not the case. I think it's amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. I've got a couple of awesome tidbits to throw in and then we'll do final judgment on these two. Give me what you got. Okay. Quick shout out to my wife, Catherine Colvin, who allows me to do this awesome podcast. Vasquez has painted on her armor. El riesgo siempre vive. My wife's a Spanish teacher, so I call her and I say, what does that mean? She says, the risk always lives. Interesting. That's on Vasquez's armor. Right. Okay. okay. Yeah. When Hudson says the line, stop your grinning and drop your linen. Yes. Those are lyrics from an ACDC song, Shake Your Leg, oh, yeah. off of Back in Black. Flashback to our Appetite for Destruction versus Back in Black episodes from last summer. Nice. Okay, here's another one for you. Melissa Joan Hart is one of the kids at Hadley's Hope. In one of the cutscenes? In one of the cutscenes. She's running around. She's like one of the little little kids at Hadley's Hope. All right. Okay, one more thing. Yeah. In an interview with Movie Phone, Sigourney Weaver said that each time one of the actors was to die, she would send them a bouquet of flowers. Aw. Right? Nice. Except when Bert died, she sent a dead bouquet of flowers. (laughs) That's awesome. Okay. I got one last tidbit. Okay. And this goes to, this is, this is kind of an underlying thing. And I started this off saying alien, a movie about an unwanted pregnancy. Right. Right. But there it's literally all over the place. Like their sleeping chamber is egg shaped. It is if they are 
being released from their eggs when they come out of their hypersleep, right? Obviously, they've got the eggs everywhere. The name of the computer is... Mother. Mother. Right. I mean, it's all over the place in there, right? It is unwanted pregnancy. It is eggs. It is births. It is rape. But here's my tidbit. Okay. The voice, we've named all of the actors in Alien except for one, the lady who voiced Mother... Her is the actress is named Helen Horton. Okay. And you will recognize her from your favorite Superman movie, Superman three. She was Perry White's helper whenever they were doing the bingo for the, (laughs) for the trip to the, to the Caribbean or wherever it was. Get out of town. Same lady. That is a fantastic tidbit. Wow. Good job. Okay. Here we are. Final judgment. Where are you between these two? D you go first. Talk to me, Hudson. Uh. Okay. For the last 35 years, I have maintained that Aliens is better than Alien. It is more action-packed. It is more guns. It is more fun. It is more intense. And it is an amazing, amazing movie. James Cameron took something that was incredible and turned it and still kept all of the essence and made it something beautiful. And so I still think it is one of the best action movies of all time, almost as good, but I have changed my opinion after rewatching these movies and studying these movies. I think that the pacing, although it's slow, the pacing that goes from slow to stab and horror and the deeper meaning behind everything that's going on in Alien makes it a better movie. And looking back at it now, to me, special effects, acting, all of it holds up better than Aliens does. I still love Aliens. Please don't send me hate mail. I still love it. But I think that the special effects and the story behind the original Alien movie must win the day. Okay. You are smoking crack. (laughs) Let's rock! Okay? It's not, especially recently, we haven't disagreed on a whole lot of things. Yeah. Okay. I absolutely disagree with you a hundred percent. And I know that it's kind of the critics opinion that alien is the all time greatest horror movie. And it is, it's super scary. And I told you as a kid, when I realized what was happening, I knew I had to see this movie. And when I saw it, it thrilled me and scared me to death. It is a epically scary science fiction movie. And you were on the right track just a minute ago. Aliens was something great. Cameron came along and made it greater. Aliens is one of the greatest action movies of all time. You said it yourself. Without a doubt, maybe the best action movie of the 80s. Die Hard. Die Hard. I mean, it's, it's in the conversation. Right. When you have Marines and you have aliens and you have the queen and you have that incredible when they invade the hive and it's flamethrowers and guns and grenades and nuclear blasts. It's everything a teenage boy wants in a movie. And I was blown away. I loved it for me, hands down aliens all the way. Although I love alien as well. We asked a friend of ours, John Reed of the 30 something movie podcast to weigh in on this as well. Here's what he said. Hey, Jason. Hey, D. It's John from podcast full of kryptonite, your co-host and uh, the 30 something movie podcast. 
you guys had reached out to me and let me know that you were doing an alien versus aliens episode. And I got to tell you, that would be a tough choice. Those are two I've mentioned on our show several times. Those are two of my favorite movies. Growing up, I was obsessed with alien. When I moved over to England, England, just a hotbed of alien fanatics over there. They had the alien war exhibit that I got to go through as a, as a 12 year old kid and uh, loved it. Absolutely loved it. Actually found the poster for it that I bought. In some ways, Alien and Aliens are an apple and an orange. Alien is one of the best sci-fi horror movies that exists. Uh, Aliens is one of the best sci-fi action movies that exists. I think I mentioned you guys several times too. You you know my uh, undying, irrational love for Alien 3. I do love that movie. It's not on the same level as Alien and Aliens. Anyway, for me, I think it comes down to, I get to pick Alien between those two. Uh, love Aliens. Like I said, it's a great action movie, but just the the depth of the horror and the claustrophobia and the, the tension. It's a beautiful, dark, grotesque movie. There is so much to fear about the alien that... To a certain degree, when you throw so many aliens into the mix and you can just mow them down with an automatic weapon, um, it's still cool. But for me, I love the the straight-up horror of being stalked by the lone alien. You have no weapons or improvised weapons. You are not soldiers. You are, you're on a mining ship, and, and you've got what's at your disposal. I love that. It, it's going to take your ingenuity to try to stop this thing. For me, it's got to be Alien. It's got to be Alien. I look forward to hearing what you guys have to say, which one you guys choose. Um, I don't think either of you are going to be wrong, uh, regardless of what your choice is. They are both amazing movies, and so I'm just really excited to really excited to hear what you guys come up with. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Okay. So once again, John and I agree. I, I can't tell you how often I've listened to the 30 something movie podcast and I've been thinking something and then John says it <laughs> like, it is amazing to me how our minds work in the same way. And I want to say this one more thing about what aliens did. This was the best part for me, right? It's the little radar that they have for the aliens, right? So that was in alien. I didn't even remember it being an alien, but they had the radar in alien, but it was just <sighs> one beep and she's freaking out. Veronica Cartwright is fr- Lambert is freaking out. Cause Oh my gosh, she's got a door. She's yeah. freaking out. Right. And that's such an intense scene. And James Cameron took it and amplified it, put Bill Paxton in there going, they're all over us, man. Six meters, man. Five. Oh, so good. He's turning that screw. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And I had a point that I've forgotten now. Crap. Um, Your point is, Aliens is freaking awesome. I don't want you to think that I don't love Aliens, and I'll watch Aliens again and again, and I'll watch Alien again and again. But when we first started talking about this, we said Aliens versus Terminator 2, the best of the sequels, right? Where the sequel was better than the original. And so that was totally my opinion before. It was only upon coming back to it and watching it again. So I encourage everybody out there who has the same opinion as Jason, go back and watch both of them. Now that you've heard the history, now that you've heard the stories behind it, go back and watch both of these movies and Hit us up on Facebook and tell us, what do you think? Which is the best? Please weigh in on Facebook. We can't wait to hear what you have to say on this. Come back next week. Terminator 1, Terminator 2, more Cameron. Full throttle action and horror. All right, guys. Don't forget to go to our Facebook page, our Twitter page. If you want to become an executive producer, 
go to our Patreon page. For as little as five bucks a month, you can become an executive producer of one of our shows. We truly appreciate all of the executive producers that we have out there. Thank you guys for your continued support. We really love that. And hit the subscribe button on your podcast app right now. Just you doing that will let other people know about our show. Look forward to seeing you guys next week. Hasta la vista, baby.